What is it? It's your future. It's called a Stargate. Chevron 7 locked. Welcome to Walking Through the Stargate. I'm Brent. And I'm Zach. This is episode 50! 50! 50 episodes! And today, we're going to be talking about Stargate SG-1's episode, Rules of Engagement. And... You have already found us, but when you decide that you need to let the world know, others can find us on Google Play Podcasts and on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify Podcasts. And uh, if you have not already done so, remember, we still have the offer out there that uh, anybody who puts a review in uh, on Apple Podcasts, we're totally going to uh, um, do a dramatic recreation of the... of the uh, comments <laughs> so be creative <laughs> and uh, we discovered that on google play podcast apparently there's like no way that you can review which is silly but if you find it you should let us know i'll tell you how to do that well no zach will in a second and on spotify uh there's a heart button you can click on that thing and all these little engagement thingy doohickeys allow other people to find us pretty easily when they're searching for stargate podcasts and so that's Awesome. And then you Zach know, Brent, I yes. think that uh, uh, Apple podcasts are such that if you have an Apple account, even yes. if you don't like an Apple ID, even if you don't necessarily use Apple to aggregate your podcasts, you could go online to your account and blah 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 and fill out a ratings and and uh, you know review us there. So even if you're not using Apple Podcasts oh. to get this wonderful thing, you should be able to do with just a little ingenuity and I know y'all have ingenuity. <laughs> give us a review. Yes. Excellent. That's yes. an excellent excellent tip. Now though, Zach the yes. question on the table is, yes. let's say somebody who uses Google Play Podcasts yes. rediscovers how to uh, create a review, and they are super excited because they have done their homework and they have given a fantastic review, and they want to yes. let us know how we can update <gasps> our show notes to tell other people how they could do a Google Play Podcast review. How would they do that? That is a great question, Brent. And in fact, the <laughs> best way to tell us that you have found out that Google Play Podcast is actually playing correctly in the world is to email us mm-hmm. at walkingthroughthestargate at gmail.com. Now that is mm-hmm. W-A-L-K-I-N-G-T-H-R-O-U-G-H-D-H-E-S-T-R-G-T-T at gmail.com. <laughs> There's a little bit of a fuzzy there, but that's okay. It's gmail.com. Yeah. I see how that goes. Yeah. So, uh, or if, if if you didn't get that written down in time, <laughs> I can understand that. Uh, you could just go to Twitter, at Stargate Walking, and uh, share with us there um, how to do this on Google or whatever else. Or on Facebook, go find us on the Walking Through the Stargate Facebook page or Facebook group. Uh, join us. Uh, have some fun. I'm actually getting much, much better at getting the uh, the promos that David has been making for us onto the Facebook page nice. uh, and the group and uh, interacting with people there uh, and such. So that's that. Cool. And Excellent. now Brent. Yes. Today we record our official 50th episode 50 episode. This We've of course done a few more episodes than that with the bonus things and whatnot, but this is episode 50, right? Yes. So this is the one that, that counts. And so, Brent, I was trying to decide what we should do for the 50th episode. And I decided that I was going to share with you something that just gives me great delight. 
Now, I was going to hold this off until the episode that this originally airs in, which is actually a fourth season episode. However, I think that this being the 50th episode, it is appropriate. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So starting in the fourth season, there are commentaries for pretty much every episode of Deep Deep Space Nine. Oh, my goodness. Ah, Of Stargate ah, SG-1. uh Yeah, there's a number in the title. That makes sense. <laughs> there's a number in there. <laughs> yeah. It's something. Uh-huh. Uh, and so, in one of the um, commentaries of mm-hmm. one of the fourth season episodes, they actually reveal that the theme song for SG-1 has lyrics. No. What? Seriously. There are lyrics to the song? Well, so one of the very first things that our good creators did when they were sitting in the writing room and trying to figure out what they should do, rather than like working on, on you know, plots and all of that stuff, they worked on lyrics to the song. Uh, are you serious? Is this for real? Is this a thing? Is this a real I, thing? I, I'm serious. And I'm going to play them for you. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Wait a second here. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Okay. So you're telling me that when they were creating the song, the, 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 when they were when they when they were making the song, so it's da 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 da. da. So you're telling me that they're sitting there like Stargate, walking through the or no, not walking through because that's us. But it's like us. <laughs> time to go I, through the Stargate. And, and <laughs> super and, rad and, and very and, big and, and also hairy. And 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 yes, that's exactly what they did. <laughs> Are, are, are you ready? Yes! Yes! Here we I go. am so ready for this. Here we I'm go. S- okay. Hmm. She's a lot okay. smarter than Now, a oh, little known fact, there are actually lyrics. There are lyrics to the song. Mm-hmm. Not make mm-hmm. we, can just, we can just recite the lyrics. We'll do kind of a rap. So they can sing along. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> may not get another chance. Come on. Here it comes. It. <laughs> Stargate. It's a great big world <laughs> with a great big swirl and step inside to another world. We're talking Stargate. It's a crazy trip. You can go quite far and you don't need a car or even a ship. There's Colonel O'Neill and Carter and Daniel and Teal. That was the first thing we wrote when we came to Stargate, and I know Robert and Brad were infinitely first pleased. What have you guys? What have you guys, what have you guys been working on? We've got oh, this. Oh my gosh, that's hilarious. <laughs> I mean, I guess that it kind of makes sense that it would start off Stargate, la, 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 la. but yeah, it's a great yes. big world. <laughs> yes. Oh, that's fantastic. So in celebration of our 50th episode, Brent, mm-hmm. I give to you the Stargate lyrics. Oh, that's so kind. You're that's welcome. So Boy, and I do love absurd things. And boy, let me tell you, <laughs> that one is absurd. <laughs> oh. Oh. Well, oh. well, I got to admit, I didn't get you anything for our 50th. Oh, wow. Uh, now I know what you really feel. Oh, thanks. It um, must be in the Wonderful. mail. Uh, oh, I meant oh to say, it's in the mail. 
Uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> okay. Well, if it's in the mail, then it's all good. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know the post office. Who? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that unreliable post office there. Oh, boy. <sighs> okay. Well, yeah. Brent. Yes. With that little bit of silliness out of the way, <laughs> yes, uh, I invite us to dig into this episode, Rules of Engagement. Yeah, let's do okay. it. All right, so this episode is directed by William Garrity. Uh, you have heard that name before. This is actually his fifth directing credit for SG-1. He has a total mm-hmm. of 12 throughout the season. Uh, he, in the first season, he did two, Broken Divide and Enigma. Mm-hmm. In the second season, he did Thor's Chariot mm-hmm. and Family. Uh, he's got one more this season, and yeah. then the rest of them are, uh, span the rest of the series up through the eighth season. Okay. Uh, he is a cinematographer and a director. He did uh, The Wild Guys in 2004, Brotherhood of the Wolf in 2001, and Robocop, the TV series in 1994. Oh, right. We haven't talked about that one in a while. I mean, and and I'm certain that when we talked about RoboCop, the TV series, we were talking about William at the time. Yeah, probably so. And of course, uh, just to remind you that he did direct two episodes of Kung Fu, The Legend Continues. Yes! So. Kung Fu. Kung Fu. The Legend Continues. I keep saying that I'm going to be watching this and I never do. Like week Uh, after week. I'm like, I'm like, I should watch that. I I don't. That's fair. I should watch that. That's fair. You should. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You should watch it, and you should tell me what it's about so that I don't oh have boy. to. Okay. <laughs> Deal. <laughs> the teleplay for this episode is by Terry Curtis Fox. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is Terry's third and final episode that he has written for SG-1. Mm, uh, okay. He wrote Prisoners and Secrets mm-hmm. in Season 2. Um and he's a playwright and a screenwriter. He is an associate professor at Western Carolina University. Hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Some of his plays include Cops, The Summer Garden, and The Future. Mm-hmm. I don't know <laughs> anything about any of those. <laughs> a play called The Future, eh? Mm. In, indeed. indeed. <laughs> uh, there are a number of guest actors in this episode. Uh, Terrell Rothery as Dr. Frazier. And, of course, mm-hmm. we get uh, Peter Williams as Apophis back. Um, yes. In a very, very, uh, that was probably the easiest. Well, he had to get into makeup and he still had to he get had his to get into makeup. On. Yep. But he had what, like three lines? Uh, yeah, something like that. And uh, hey, everybody, come here. here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Listen to this person and do what he says. That's right. Um, now, uh, Captain Kyle Rogers is played by Aaron Craven. And okay. this is actually his very first professional acting gig, according to IMDb, or at least on wow, television. Really? Uh, we do see Aaron again in another episode of SG-1 as a completely different character, as well okay. as an episode of Atlantis. And as a matter of fact, I was uh, uh, just kind of flipping through the channels on TV the other day, actually watching live TV, which is kind of remarkable. And mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I noticed that SG-1 was on, and, and I you know turned it on and let it watch. And, and sure enough, it was, in fact, the late season episode that Aaron Craven was in. Oh, okay. And I'm like, hey, I recognize him. He's been in another episode of Stargate. What was it? What was it? And then I watched this, and I'm like, oh, yeah, that's what it was. It was this one. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, interesting. Uh, Yeah. Uh, He uh, is an avid scuba diver and hockey player. And I was trying to decide if he does both of those at the same time. Because that would be really fascinating. Although, see, now, 
seriously would be. It would be very difficult. But like now I'm thinking about you throw on your scuba gear, you cut a hole in the ice, you got to put on that the, the gear to be able to deal with like 32 or 33 degree water. And then you use um, some flotation devices on not only yourself, but also the puck. And then you play hockey upside down on the underside of the ice. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> that would be. <laughs> now, here's the thing, though, for you. Like, I actually don't know this. Um, I assume that ice freezes smooth on the underside, but oh. I don't know. I bet you it does, but I'm just, I'm just. Huh, you know, I, I actually would be somewhat surprised if it actually uh, uh, freezes smoothly on the underside. Uh, I, mean, I mean, it, it barely. Like it I mean, certainly to play hockey, they have to use that fun little Zamboni thing uh, to actually smooth it out nicely. So, uh, yeah, um, or you know, you could be lucky and to have a very, very calm, cold day, and the pond freezes. But yeah, I mean, generally speaking, right. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, if you if you look at pictures of icebergs and whatnot, uh, the underbelly of said iceberg uh, is not a smooth surface, which would just make it even more fun. Obstacles! Obstacles? <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, friends who are scuba divers and also who own dry suits and uh, flotation devices and hockey sticks and are willing to make a hockey puck float, uh, and have access to uh, said said type of pond, and also several of the people who are willing to do it with you. <clears throat> Get on it and let us know. Absolutely. Know <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, that was Aaron Craven. Uh, Captain Nelson, uh, uh, who was the number two, mm -hmm. uh, was played by Dion Johnstone. Uh, he is a Canadian actor born in Montreal, uh, mm -hmm. raised in Edmonton, Alberta. Uh, he actually has seven different credited characters on SG-1. Really? Wow. Okay. We will, so this is his first one. Uh, yeah. And like Craven, this was basically his first uh, television gig, uh, according to IMDb. Huh. Um, Not bad, And uh, So this is his first one, and, and we will see his name pop up several more times along uh, as the series progresses. Um, and uh, if I remember, I will point him out to you. Sure. Okay. Uh, and apparently, uh, Dion and Aaron became uh, fast friends in this episode and, uh, you know, really have connected during this, this time. Cool. Uh, so, there you go. Yeah, nice. Uh, the original air date for uh, Rules of Engagement was August 20th, 1999. Uh, mm. We were still listening to Genie in a Bottle. Yay. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. the UK has moved on to If I Let You Go by Westlife. Mm -hmm. uh, in the box I don't office. Know that song. I don't know that song either. Um, but that's not unusual for me. I don't know most of these songs. Mm, well, that's, yeah, fine. But uh, we're still, we're going to have to, you know what this means. Are, 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 we, are we turning that one up? Yeah. But, are we grooving uh, to some Westlife? The real question is, yeah, is like, is this a fast song or a slow song? If I let you go, I bet you it's slow. You know, it could be very slow. Super slow? No, actually, it's, it, 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 no, it's not super slow. It's, it's just slow. Just, just, okay. just kind of, just, just right there. All right, There's so you ready, to, ready yep. to turn this up? Okay, turn it up. Okay, here we Ooh, go. There we go. There we go. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Real uh, nice. Yeah, yep. as, as we continue to listen to the Westlife, I'll, I'll talk about the box office. The okay. number one was Sixth Sense. Uh, very chilling, kind of like this, this, uh, this, this music here. Uh, number two was Bowfinger. Number three, Mickey Blue Eyes. 
Number four, Runaway Bride, and number five, The Blair Witch Project. And if you played this song during The Blair Witch Project, it would make it much smoother and Oh, so much more smooth. It would be so less frantic. Oh, indeed. Indeed. Okay. Well, as as, as you fade that down, as you fade that down, uh, I'm going to talk about what happened around this time. Sure. Uh, around the 20th of October, uh, August, October. I did that. I did that last week. <laughs> you did the last time. Yeah. <laughs> That's, That's because it, we're recording October. this in yes. October. Yes. Um, in August, 1999, on the 17th, a couple of days before, there was a 7.4 magnitude earthquake in Turkey, in mm-hmm. Izmit, Turkey, and it killed more than 17,000 people, mm-hmm. injuring uh, 44,000 people. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's that's quite a huge. Earthquake. That's a lot of people. Yes, that's a lot of people. On the nineteenth in Belgrade, tens of thousands of Serbians rally to demand the resignation of Slobodan Milosevic as president oh, yeah. of the Federal Republic of Yugoslavia. Yeah. Yugoslavia does not even exist as a country anymore. Nope. Uh, uh, and uh, Milosevic is being get out, kick out, yeah. go, 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 yeah. go. And then on the 20th, the 7th Annual Athletics World Championships opens in Seville, Spain. And Mm -hmm. I don't know what the Athletics World Championships are, but there they are. Yep. I don't know either, but there they are. Okay. There were apparently six before it. Indeed. Indeed. Mm -hmm. Um, So when I move into the trivia, there really isn't a whole lot to talk about this episode, not... A lot of trivia cool things happen in this episode. Sure. Um, most of the foreign languages uh, have rules of combat uh, as, oh, as yeah. mm-hmm. the, the translation instead of rules of engagement. Uh, in Hungarian, it's rules of warfare. Sure. Um, there you go. Now, despite the fact that there's not a lot of trivia, there are a few goofs in this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Uh, at the end of the episode... Uh, after listening to the message from Apophis, the characters are speaking to one another on an overcast day. It's raining. You can actually see spots on the glasses, uh, on their goggles. You can see breath coming, you know, the, the, the cool air in their breath as they speak. And then when it cuts to a shot overhead of them kind of wandering around, it's all mm-hmm. of a sudden a really bright, sunny day. We, you know, I didn't even notice that. Huh. Well, that's good. I mean, like, right, exactly. I mean, that's that that was that, that's what I'm getting at is like, I oh, well, but probably because I was listening to the fade out music. Right. And I was like, uh, you well, know, yeah, you know, yeah, and yeah. we're done. Yeah. Right. Um, still, talk about earlier. Jeez. Yeah, it is. Earlier in the episode, uh, Jack O'Neill, while he is interrogating Kyle uh, with the infamous tuna torture. <laughs> uh, apparently has a magic tuna sandwich that changes <laughs> shapes and bites. As time progresses, and uh, I didn't notice it, but um, but yeah, there was. I remember like the the tuna sandwich just it was just peculiar. And now that yeah. I'm thinking about it, I'm like, I bet you it was because it just kept changing. <laughs> you know, so every I time I saw it again, I'm fact, like, wait, but in that? one scene it looked like it was wheat bread, and then in another <laughs> cut it looked like it was white bread. <laughs> I don't know if that was just a, a, a sure. trick of the light and whatnot, but I'm like, wow. <laughs> well, it, well that, that was that's half that's half of how it's torture is that you keep well, looking at it and it just keeps changing on you. That, that, <laughs> and that's you're true. like, am I going? Am I going crazy? <laughs> yeah, well, um, he's already started. 
the torture may begin. <laughs> right. Um, and then finally, earlier on in the episode, uh, like right at the very beginning, Sam gets a scratch on her face. Uh, yeah. And that scratch changes. It gets thin, it gets thick, it gets really bloody, it's all of a sudden clean, and then by the time she gets to the SGC, it's gone. Yeah, I noticed. I, I was noticing that a little bit. I didn't... Or yeah, it was gone. In fact, actually, did, I didn't see... So that one scene where they're bringing... Uh, what's his name? Nelson? When they're bringing Nelson back... Nelson. Rogers. 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 Roger, Roger. Um, Roger, Roger. Uh, where they're bringing Rogers back through the gate, right? The very first... So at the very beginning, we're going to go see Apophis, you can tell him yourself. Yay! And he walks through the gate, and it's it's uh, it's O'Neill and Teal, I think, carrying the stretcher, and then there's, then there's um, Jackson right behind. And I don't remember seeing Carter step through the gate. And so as such, I was like, oh, I wonder if Carter was, you know, been left behind for whatever reason. And then I was saying, well, that's curious. Like, that was the perfect opportunity for her to get back to the SGC. And then they cut to the briefing room and she's there. And I'm like, Mm. did I just miss it? And I probably missed it. But on the other hand, maybe I didn't miss it. Maybe maybe that's another goof. Yeah, uh, I I don't remember. I I think it was Teal'c and and Jackson who were carrying the stretcher. Um, But... uh, uh, now I don't remember specifically if Carter uh, was part of that entourage I mean, it's in, such in, the, a minor in the point. shot itself. Like there was right. right there was exactly there was nothing that said that she was going to stay behind, and then there was nothing that precluded her from stepping through, and I just missed it. It just was weird. Yep. Well, shall we uh, dig into the synopsis for this episode, yes. Brent? Okay. Let's dive into this. SG One finds themselves looking for a settlement discovered by a UAV when they hear staff blasts ahead of them. Carefully, they look over the ridge and discover an unidentified SG team under fire and about to be overrun by a squad of Jaffa soldiers. O'Neill radios the harried SG team, but they do not respond. The colonel decides they will enter the battle and help, but when the team reveals itself to the uh, SG team uh, in distress, all of a sudden the SG team members turn their weapons and fire on SG-1. O'Neill, Carter, Jackson, and Teal'c all fall unconscious. No! Yes. SG-1 <laughs> wakes up in the soldiers' training camp with headaches and no weapons. They are taken to the camp's leader, Captain Kyle Rogers, who assumes they are from a rival camp. When Rogers accidentally refers to the Stargate as the Chapa'ai, Teal'c recognizes that he is a Jaffa being trained by Apophis to infiltrate Stargate Command. Teal'c tells the soldiers that they were sent there by Apophis to test them. Rogers guard, guides SG-1 to the armory tent, where they look for their own weapons. While they do find a few of their weapons, the tent is filled predominantly with Intars, training weapons that look like real MP5s and the like, real staff bla- weapons, but will not inflict any actual harm, rather just giving the recipient a nasty, stunning jolt. The missing weapons are somewhere out in the field where some young soldier is playing a war game with it. Carter and Jackson remain to continue looking for the real weapons while O'Neill and Teal'c summon the soldiers to the campsite for an inspection using a gold device called a vocuum. A giant projection of Apophis appears, gathers the troops, and announces that the possessor of the vocuum speaks in his name. While these totally young troops, secure method to make sure that the people stay in in line. Well, true. I guess I'm getting ahead of myself. Carry on. Sorry. That's, okay. 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 
while these young troops are training as Jaffa warriors, they are in fact young humans, drawn from all over Apophis' territory. As Apophis' power waned, he drew upon humans to fill his ranks, until finally they were left alone on this planet, still playing their war games, while Apophis lay dying in the SGC. O'Neill tries to convince the young soldiers that Apophis is actually dead, but they do not buy it. Shocking. Thinking that this is a test of their loyalty from their trainers. Unable to convince them that, uh, unable to convince them to end the games, SG-1 enters the battlefield looking for their missing weapons. During that battle, Captain Rogers is hit with a blast from Teal'c's real staff weapon. The recruits see that first blood has been shed and see it as a sign that they are ready for the final challenge. Roger's wound is serious enough to warrant more care than they can provide in the camp. SG-1 convinces him to return through the Stargate to show him that Apophis, to show Apophis first blood has been spilled. However, when they arrive at the SGC, Rogers realizes that he is not being taken to Apophis. He loses control and must be restrained, screaming and yelling at everybody. Mm -hmm. In the briefing room, Teal'c explains how, in Jaffa's training, they use non-lethal weapons until blood is shed for the first time. And then the soldiers are issued real weapons and do real battle to the death until one side is victorious. O'Neill visits Rogers in the infirmary and tries to convince him that Apophis is not a god and that Apophis is dead. The infamous tuna torture begins. (laughs) Rogers is not convinced until he is finally shown a video of Apophis on his deathbed. Stunned, Rogers' world view is destroyed. He believes Apophis is now to be dead. And he wishes to help SG-1 to stop the final challenge and save his men. In order to prevent the boys from pointlessly slaughtering themselves, the team hatches a plot to show them the video of Apophis on his deathbed through the vacuum. SG-1, along with Rogers, go through the gate, stunning pretty much everyone they meet within TARS, and then set up and play a giant tower defense game as Carter <laughs> merges Earth and Gulawold technology together. <laughs> it works. Apophis's death appears in the sky above all the soldiers, and like Captain Rogers himself, their worldviews are destroyed. Their god is dead. The final challenge comes to an end, and the question is asked, what do we do now? The soldiers can go home and stop worrying about the war games and the dead false god Apophis. The end. The end. So, Brent. Yeah. Rules of engagement. Mm-hmm. What did you think? Um, so I felt like this one was enjoyable and it didn't have any big problems with it, but I was kind of, as I was watching it, it was fine. And then as the story was going along, it was fine. And when the, when the, when the storyline started to wrap up, it was fine. And then when it ended, it was fine. But, uh, at no point was I like super into it or super out of it. Um, I felt like I was watching a pretty fine piece of television, uh, that, you know, I could lean back and, um, you know, snack on my metaphorical popcorn. I didn't have any popcorn when I was watching it as it happened, but you know, like just relax and watch a Stargate episode and, you know, have it just be a predictable piece of television. Basically, um, the twist at the beginning was enjoyable. 
the twist of that this is actually uh, you know some uh, an effort by the ghoul world to create infiltrators into the SG into the SGC. I like that. I thought that was kind mm-hmm. of a neat a neat mm-hmm. thing. But then, but that's of course that has to be set up pretty fast for the rest of the story to follow. So once that's set up, then it was like okay, I now see where we're at and what's going on. I um. I liked the scene where uh, Teal'c basically kind of takes control, um, you know, realizes what's going on and then is just doing his little, you know, captain of the Jaffa thing. Right. And additionally, as first prime, like it, 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 that one felt like it might have been a little bit better. I get that O'Neill is the uh, leader of the team for sure. Right. But when he tried, when O'Neill basically tries to take over, you know, even though he's doing it in deference to Master Teal'c, right. um, and what 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 was the title that Teal'c gave him? Uh, uh, underling was it underling? underling? Something like that. Was it underling? <laughs> so, we, but you know, so so O'Neill um, shows deference to Master Teal'c and gets permission to speak to the group which he is given, <clears throat> but then he tries to like rush to the end, basically, like you know, in that respect, it didn't quite feel very realistic. It was you know. He expected to be able to say, okay, guess what? This thing that you are convinced is real is totally not. Well, I guess it wasn't a real, not real question. But, you know, like, uh, you know, this, this, this reality that you think you're in is actually changed fundamentally. And I know better than you. So go, go home. You're done here. Yeah. And, you know, the, the, the kids play off of it appropriately. They're like, um, sounds to me like you're trying to test us whether or not we are willing to stick with it no matter what. So, you know, in that respect, it was very plausible quite nice but it did feel like the uh first prime of apophis should probably continue to think about how he would as first prime get a group of people who are training under apophis to totally switch gears like right he should be able to solve that puzzle for sure you know i i can buy i agree with that uh i i but that said i i buy with how o'neill handles it uh, yeah. As as O'Neill, I mean, uh, I think it was foolhardy from the beginning. O'Neill is one of yeah. these characters that that uh, when he knows uh, X and X is you know the final step in something. Well, duh. Okay, mm-hmm. Apophis is not a real god. Apophis is in fact dead. Um, so this game is dumb. Uh, O'Neill right. is really good at just jumping to the end and saying, "Well, there it is." Duh. Right, and he what he's not so good at, and we see this time and again. We've seen it before. Uh, we'll see it again. Is that uh, he is operating with somebody who's operating from a completely different worldview, and he doesn't even begin to do the process of mm. of mm-hmm. walking them mm-hmm. through a change from hey, okay, you know they they say Apophis is a god, and Ap- gods can't die. Therefore, anybody who says that Apophis is dead is wrong. Just right. simply saying, well, Apophis isn't a god, therefore he can die, blah, blah, blah. Um, that doesn't fly in the face of a different worldview. Uh, now, it does make a lot of sense that O'Neill would just jump straight to that because that's kind of who he that's is and style. what he does. Yeah. That's his style. Mm-hmm. Um, he's like, let's not deal with you know the, the, the stuff before. Like, look, this is the real thing. It's true. Let's just, let's just accept it and move on. Uh, that's kind of how he is. Um, but it doesn't work very well and it is actually portrayed pretty well, but. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, again, like everything about this episode was just fine. 
Um, I was actually surprised to learn that that uh, that uh, Roger and Nelson, this was their kind of their first real acting gig, at least certainly on screen, because they did fine. Like it wasn't yeah. it wasn't it wasn't like landmark. It wasn't like I, you know, I, I have seen better acting for sure. But on the other hand, like it was just fine. It was very believable. One of those um, spots that I enjoyed uh, uh, when uh, Captain Rogers is trying to uh, be a basically be a, a, a uh, drill sergeant and whatnot is trying yeah. to dress down O'Neill and whatnot. And he's like, yeah. "Is that clear?" <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I'm yes. like, "Oh." And, and actually, I think I thought that was acted really well because uh, either it was acted really well or he's a way not as good actor as I thought it was because it was, it, it looked to me like this was this kid trying to fill shoes that are way too big for him. And he yeah. knows it. And the people he's yelling at knows it. And yet that's what he's told to do in this point in time. And he's trying to do it. And, and then he kind of, he does it and he's like, there, I did it. And, and he's like, did I do it? I tried. I think it, you know, yeah, I think it was probably more along the, the, the better interpretation. I think so too. Um, I think it was like, it was an in- intentional attempt at that. Yeah, like like you know he he's not going to come across as uh, he's going to come across as green. Like you know we've seen he's fitting a stereotype basically. Like we've right. seen however many shows about war and battle and such. Uh, you know just in movies and things. And you know there's always the um, like the physical archetype that this kid is fi- fitting. Of the you know fresh out of command or uh you know fresh out of West Point first command like yeah technically he's a lieutenant but he doesn't know jack about jack and then there's the big tall strong gruff guy um, who usually is technically his subordinate but has seen much more about the world and therefore should is in a much better position to know a thing or two and then there's that tension that is inherent in that scene la 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 you know the stories take it in different directions but this in right. this moment. Indeed, it was a kid who nominally was in charge of the whole thing uh, being um, confronted by uh, what looked to be, and then this was something that was a little implausible, what looked to be members of a squadron or a platoon or something that needs to sort of tuck into what his little command is. And the, the implausibility didn't strike me until later. Um, if everybody knew everybody, basically, at this camp, even though they were broken up into two groups, um, that they just flat out didn't that they they didn't know SG one when they saw them and then they assumed that they were just part of the war game and didn't think you know maybe it was because of their attire or something maybe it took them a while before they were like oh you uh, yeah okay actually now that I'm kind of putting it together it was when he realized they stepped through the Stargate there that, that he was like oh wait a minute um you look weird and strange and there's a Jaffa right there. Oh, you must be here for this other thing. I mean, but it was still a little, even me talking that thing out is a little clunky and watching it. It was a little clunky. So so I I think this is what was happening. I think on that planet, there were several different uh, training groups. This particular group that we ran into yeah. Um, or at least there was the intent that there would be several different training groups, whether there in fact are or not, but that was the, the assumption that there are. This whole group mm-hmm. that was split into two camps of uh, Jaffa and, and uh, uh, SG personnel, uh, it was all under Captain Rogers' control. Right? You know, he, he was the, the leader of this whole group. Right. And so we only saw, I don't know, this is Alpha Group, right? Whatever. Right. And sure. uh, Beta... And and uh, Charlie group are 
you know, over there, and they're doing their right. own thing, and uh, Alpha Group doesn't really, and didn't have anything to do with, with Beta Group and whatnot. And it's entirely plausible that uh, <clears throat> Alpha Group um, ha- does not know most of the people in Beta Group or Delta Group or, or whatever group it is. Sure. Um, and uh, so here, the original supposition was these are guys from a different squad, a uh, different group coming in to check in on them, and then they mess everything up, and they get fired on, and, and they're supposed to be dead. Uh, that was the original assumption, that these guys were from a different group, not part of this two-pronged uh, uh, group itself here. I'm using the word group too many times. Groupy group, groupy groups. Group, you got group, some groups. groups. You got a group over there and a group here. Yeah, yep. yeah, you know. Uh, th- that's how I interpreted it. Yeah, yeah. You, you, you can say I'm full of crap. No, I don't want. think so. I mean, it's just like, it, it, I mean, I'm kind of back to where I was starting with the thing where it's like, yeah, I mean, but even when we're kind of painting it over with retcon, like it's still, it's fine. It's fine. Um, it, the, the, the retcon paint doesn't necessarily like make things click uh, in a way that therefore is kind of like makes the whole story better. So as a result, like, I mean, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not um, opposing what, explanation you're providing sure it's just more along the lines of like um it matters a little but it really doesn't matter a lot because the real point of the story is how do you get a bunch of people who are uh convinced that you know what is is how do you get them to be not convinced that that thing is and the setup is done in a kind of an interesting way it's this thing this story is basically just made for television right like this this is a this was a really <laughs> tidy tv episode um it's taking place in something that in a place that's relatively isolated all things considered uh it is um setting up a problem which on the face of it is quote impossible unquote but of course obviously it's possible we just have to figure out the right combination of things to do um and the the <laughs> The inclusion of the literal Deus Ex Machina was kind of hilarious to me. Um, like I said, like the like the, the the most secure thing that you can possibly do is to <laughs> is to record an image of yourself saying, "Whoever holds this device totally speaks in my name without problems at all." I'm presuming <laughs> that there's probably some more security things in there, but at least on the surface, at least on the episode, it just kind of looks like like. You know, yeah, whoever holds it gets to call the shots. Yeah. So, <laughs> so it's like, and, you know, that does fit the mold that we have been talking about before about how the Gould are, um, they're nothing to be trifled with, but boy, they cannot tactic their way out of a paper bag to save their life, <laughs> literally. And this might be included in the pile of things of like, that was a bad decision. <laughs> you should have thought of something differently about that one. Well, you know, you could make the retcon. I, I totally agree with you. You're absolutely right. But I'll, I'll make the retcon that there is uh, some sort of pass encoded, uh, password encoded thing that is required to operate the Volcum and get it to work properly. Sure. And, and you have to have that. Um, uh, it's rather lucky in this situation in my retcon that, that apparently Teal'c has access to it, which... Actually, as first prime, you would make the assumption that that he would have a code for that. Although um, you would think that all of his codes would be um, have would have been changed when he defected. But sure. that's an entirely different story. Right. Yeah. Uh, as I look at this episode, 
Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll, uh, I assume that you've run through your list of things here, Brent. Yeah, basically. Um, uh, I agree with you. This episode is is right there. It's fine. It's it. The only really big issue I have with this episode, uh, and it's a doozy uh, yeah. for me, is uh, how quickly worldviews are changed. Oh, yeah. Oh, dear. Uh, people's worldviews yeah. do not change on a dime like no, that. No, no. That, uh, was, that was you know, a little unrealistic, yeah. Um, you know, I, I mean, I, I could buy perhaps Rogers in the infirmary uh, watching the video, seeing everybody's reaction, all of that stuff, uh, be going like, whoa, uh, huh. I mean, okay, so Rogers' change, yeah. uh, we see a little bit more of his arc, uh, I, I, could, I could get behind that a little bit, um, you know, it, it's still really fast. Oh, yeah, uh, it was very, really, very, very, really quick. fast. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, as as one who who navigates the waters of people's worldviews, yeah. um, I know that you, as much as I would like to be able to say, "Hey, guys, the world's like this," <laughs> not like that, <laughs> not like that. It's like this, and then all of a sudden, have everybody change their worldview and go like this because that would be so much better, you know. As much as I would love to see that happen, it doesn't work that way. Yeah. I'll be like, it happens like this. And I'm like, oh, oh that's great. Okay, now I'm going to go over here and do this over here. Yeah. Right. No, 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 no. But it's like this. Yeah, yeah. Okay, that's wonderful. I'm going to go over great. here. Great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I mean, that, that, that's how people work. And, yeah. and so that really, uh, you know, I, I could buy that, that in this moment, Rogers begins to have a worldview shattering moment. And he begins to transform himself. Uh, but I don't buy that the rest of the squad, uh, after seeing this, would all of a sudden drop their weapons and say, oh, right. well, I guess he's dead. Um, you know, uh, there would be at least one fanatic who's like, no, he can't be dead, and then would go ballistic, because that's how people respond, if, if you know, at least in part. Yep. You know, yep. if, if you challenge my worldview so much that it breaks uh and if i have nothing left if i am not resilient enough to navigate uh that type of change uh you break the person and they go bonkers yeah that's that's how humans work at least some humans um and they're like oh well okay i guess he's dead what do we do now oh go home well what do i do at home it was very uh you know uh, and so, you know, the episode itself, the characters, uh, the, 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 uh, communication between the characters, the relationships, the, the dialogue, I enjoyed all of that. that, that mm-hmm. It, it actually worked really, really well. Uh, what doesn't work is that it's just like, oh, well, you've been saying A for the whole episode. And I'm like, no, it can't be A, it's gotta be B because it's B. And then you will one more time say, no, it really is A. And they're like, oh, okay, I guess it's A. It does feel like, well, no, okay, I, I, I know why they're... So I was about to say, um, they could have spent less time with Carter struggling to get the video uploaded into the vacuum and more time with... Uh, vocuum, vocuum. Oh, okay, sorry. Uh, and more time creating a bit more of an arc for the people to go through for the for the kid soldiers to go through 
in order to get to a spot where they believe it. Um, right. And it could have even played out where not everybody believes it. It could, and and it feels like this would not have been too terribly difficult to just sprinkle in a little bit of doubt and dissent, uh, because apparently it had been a very long time since uh, Jaffa Masters were around there. Um, five months? Is that what he said? Something like that? And um, Or no, they yeah, were only there for five months. When, when did... When did uh, I'm not sure uh, when in universe Apophis died. Exactly. Apophis died in the episode Serpent Song, which was um, about two thirds, three quarters of the way through season two. And now we're roughly at the halfway point of season three. So, you know, it's, it's been a while. It's eight or nine months. Sure. Yeah, fine. That, so that, that he died. And who knows how long prior to that, that, uh, you know, because. So they, they've probably been doing these war games for a year. But even still, like, it, you know, precise timeline set aside, it would have been not too much to ask for the story to give us a little bit of dialogue with a couple of other uh, grunts, basically, to go ahead and start to show that not everybody is as um, doggedly loyal to Apophis as Rogers and Nelson are. Um, See, I think them... I think Nelson is the character to do that with. Okay, you fine. Know, in, yeah, in, in the in the testing, um, you know, when when O'Neill is you know testing him in that line, he's like, mm-hmm. "Oh, you're testing me, uh, my loyalty." You know, uh, in that moment there, you could have had him uh, in in just a couple of word choices, in a couple of facial expressions, uh, kind of wrestle with that. Uh, oh yeah, instead, right. what exactly. you see is exactly. is him just. Stonewalling uh, him, you yeah. know, stone cold. He knows. Yep. You, you're testing me. Blah blah blah. Right. Um, if if we had seen in Nelson in that moment that uh yes uh-huh, right you know just just a little bit it would have um because then you would have seen somebody who is wondering what the heck really is going on. Why right. are we stuck here doing this? When is this going to happen? All of this is going on. I'm concerned about this i mean this is a big deal and then if in that moment uh when you know because if if somebody is in a moment of already questioning and wrestling with their own worldview mm-hmm. then if in that moment you throw in a bomb like uh here's proof that the guy you think can't die is actually dead uh now boom all of a sudden that could be a moment of significant transformation right uh, but we're not but shown you, that. But right. we're not shown that. We're we're shown people who are dead set positive that Apophis is a god and can't be killed. You see that in Rogers. You see that in Nelson. Mm-hmm. Um, and and those being the only two significant characters. Uh, everybody else is just you know background. Um, you see it in those two. Um, and we don't see anything else. Uh, we do see a few times in in Rogers where he kind of goofs on command issues, right? Uh, but that's not worldview issues, and I think that's that for me is where this episode falls down. I I think I think that that also might be sort of the pivot point why I keep saying things like it's fine, this episode's fine, but it was not plot. It wasn't particularly believable. But on the other hand, like it did everything else well enough that I was willing to be like, okay. They they were shown a shred of evidence, um, and you know, I mean, it might be that we just live in an era now where we are so used to evidence being manipulated that, like, it, 
even as he's showing, even as he's watching the video of Apophis dying and he asks, what kind of magic is this? And he's being told no magic that like all of a sudden is enough for him to be convinced. And I'm sitting there like, I, I hear you. And I understand what is happening in the story. I, I'm not supposed to be sitting here thinking they've doctored the film um, because I also, the viewer, have seen Apophis die. I know that this is true, but it's just a bit of a stretch, man. It's just a bit of a stretch to right. think that this kid sees this thing, is told that nothing tricky is going on, and he he buys it. And then, I mean, and, and we're beating a dead horse now, but, you know, like, or, you know, a, a dead system lord. Uh, <laughs> you know, you bring him into the camp and perform the exact same trick, and everybody just drops their weapons. Like, no, man, give me a little bit more. Give me a little bit more, and then it'll turn it from a fine episode to a good one. Yeah. Wouldn't, I don't think it'd be earth-shattering, but it would be good. But it wasn't. I- yeah, if if they had given me more uh, to make that that transition of worldview, which is so radical at the end, more mm-hmm. believable, mm-hmm. Uh, this this easily could have fallen into a really solid, worthwhile episode. Yeah, I agree. Um, yeah, but it was uh, tight. without without that, uh, it's it, it's a fine. It's yeah. fine. It's middling. Middling. Um, uh, and so then, Brent, as, as we yes. uh, shifting gears to uh, discussion to rating, I ask you, rules of engagement, this could have been a really good episode, but is middling. Yep. How many chevrons does it get? Neat idea. Pretty good execution. Um, nice detail. I liked it. Pretty good acting. Um, one Achilles heel aspect of the story, which I was just expected to swallow. And if I swallow it, I'm like... Okay, it's fine. If I want to be a stickler about it, then I, I guess it really does pivot on do I want to be uh, like a hard nose about it or do I want to just say, you know what, let's have a decent time with it. I'm going to go with let's just have a decent time with it. But even still, that's only going to get me to um, that's only going to get me to a three, which is less than half. Um, it, it was fine. It was fine. Uh, it was popcorn. Um, if I wanted to be a hard nose about it and really kind of get on that one plot point that uh, I think that a person could stand on that one and be defensible and saying that this is actually much worse than that, but I'm willing to be like, eh, you know what? It was okay. And as an okay episode, uh, it's a three. The thing I was realizing afterwards is that this is probably going to be one of those episodes that I forgot I watched. Like later on, you'll be saying something and I'll be like, oh, right. Like, like that one episode, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's, it is forgettable. This is kind of forgettable. Now there might be aspects that get called back later, which make it unforgettable. But right now it's like, yeah, okay, fine. Yay. Everybody's back. Hooray. And that's yeah. it. Well, so I give it a three. Um, three. I, I think, I think you're spot on. I think it, this is a three episode. This has the, the possibility of being an episode that, that would fall into the four, four and a half. Maybe even five category if sure. if with just a couple of tweaks here and there, but without those, um, it's uh, it doesn't quite get there. Nope. So I agree. All right. Well, Brent. Mm-hmm. After discussing rules of engagement, we move into the next episode of Stargate SG One. Okay. And it is entitled "Forever in a Day." And this mm-hmm. is when I ask you, my good friend. What is Forever in a Day all about? Forever in a day? Forever in a day. Gotcha. Not Forever and a day. Okay. Uh, forever in a day. Oh, okay. 
Next time on Stargate SG-1, the team travels through the Stargate to find themselves <gasps> stuck in that singularity thing that I was talking about before that still hasn't come about yet. The idea being that when you are traveling between gates, you actually go through a junction. And as such, they're stuck in that junction again. Now, last time in singularity, singularity or singularities, plural? I think it was plural. Singularity. Singular. Last time in Singularity, when I was trying to predict the episode, I wanted them to be stuck in this junction room to try and get out, because that would have been a great episode. Turns out Singularity was about something completely different. But this time, this time, <laughs> friends, I finally get my way. They get stuck in the junction between wormholes and find themselves separated from time. They're able to see the past. They're able to see the future all through the lens of the now. As such, they suddenly realize that their struggle against the system lords appears hopeless. How on earth will they be able to recover from this knowledge of information? Maybe what they saw was not futures to be for sure, but futures that could be. The whole, like, Charles Dickens Christmas Carol problem all over again. Join us <laughs> next time on Stargate SG-1 for forever in a day. How'd it okay. do? Okay. Yeah. 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 Yeah? Um, I yeah, got it? Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, you know, we don't finally. even need to... To, to to watch the promo that Dave made because uh, <laughs> we got it perfectly. But uh, but because David went to a lot of trouble to make this promo, uh-huh. <laughs> we're going to watch it anyway, okay? Okay, all right, fine. All right, are you ready? I am ready. Here we go. Clear. Next time on Stargate SG-1. Hey! Okay. Yes, good father, we got your message. Yes, she took the box. They took him. After a hard oh, fight, don't Daniel Jackson loses everything. <laughs> He's holding that weird. Oh no. But did any of it oh, actually no. happen? Or is it you all just messages message. from beyond? Oh my! It's all next time on Stargate SG-1. Cool. Wow. Excited to watch that one. And that. We get to see some of of our old friends back on that one. Yes. Share comes back. Yeah. Uh, uh, Maybe Amonet comes back. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yasuf is back. Mm -hmm. Uh, So... We shall see what happens in forever in a day. I, b- I bet you Daniel's stuck in a singularity. I bet you. Uh, it could very well be a singularity. In the junction. It could room. be. <laughs> 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 All right. Well, uh, that uh, wraps it up for us. Mm-hmm. Uh, please tell us what you think about rules of engagement. Tell us where we got it right. Tell us where mm-hmm. we got it wrong. Tell us when you have had your worldview completely shattered in oh, yeah. just one moment and how it was perfectly fine or perfectly not fine and That's how you came one. across like that. that. Whatever it is, uh, email us at walkingthroughthestargate at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter st- at Stargate Walking. Go to Facebook and join the Facebook group and the Facebook page mm-hmm. and all of that stuff. And with that, I say I'm Zach. 
I'm Brent. And this has been Walking Through the Stargate. See you next time. Bye. Carter, dial it up. Get these people home.